media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 27 this morning. Have you ever heard of the phrase reality check? And, you know, we use that kind of indiscriminately for all kinds of different things. It's not necessarily a spiritual term. In fact, I don't know that it really was meant to be a, a spiritual term. This morning, we're going to use it as a spiritual term uh, as we talk about a spiritual reality check. And most of the time that we use that term when we say, hey, we need to have a reality check, or maybe sometimes you've used that with your children. Maybe you've used that with coworkers. Maybe you use that with other your spouse, perhaps. Uh, be careful with that last one if you use that with your spouse. But, you know, hey, we need to have a reality check. And it's one of those things where at that point we're hoping that truth triumphs over fiction. In fact, if you go to Webster's Dictionary and you see the definition of what is reality check, how they would define it, they say this, something that clarifies or serves as a reminder of reality often by correct, correct, um, correcting a misconception. I want you to remember that. And even though, you know, Webster's Dictionary is not holy word, I think it's really accurate as to the application that we're using this this morning. That in times of our lives, would you agree that we need something that clarifies, something that serves as a reminder of reality by cre- correcting a misconception that we've allowed into our heart and our mind? It happens all the time. Uh, for example, it can happen in very practical things. Have you ever kind of bought into the um, the thought that you can afford something because they broke it down to 30 easy payments? And, and so you saw that number maybe on a monthly thing, and you're going, okay, yeah, we can afford $227 a month. And so you're kind of thinking that way, and then you start getting that bill every month, and you're going, no, I can't afford this. And all of a sudden, there's a reality check that... This was much more expensive than you really kind of, kind of believed that it would be because you had that misconception. Hey, it's not that much a month. Has that ever happened to you before? And all of a sudden that reality check shows you the truth. Hey, we really don't need this. We can't afford it. But for a while you kind of went with the misconception. Hey, it's just monthly payments. Hey, this will be easy to do. That's a very practical application of this term reality check. And it happens in a lot of practical ways of our lives. But it also can happen spiritually. Have you ever gotten a reality check from the Bible? That is there, you know, you've got a a way of thinking. Maybe you've got a mood. Maybe you have an attitude. Or maybe you have just some thoughts that are going through your head. And then you open up the Word of God. And it serves as a reality of correcting a misconception that you were either thinking our feeling, because those are the two main components of how we process things and information and things in our lives. We think about them and we have kind of mental thoughts or we have feelings. And God made us both ways. Both work in cooperation or they can work in opposition. And sometimes when we open up God's word, you know, all of a sudden maybe you have doubts or maybe you uh, have all kinds of wonderment about something on the spiritual nature, and you open up God's Word, and boom, there's His truth. And sometimes that truth can encourage us, that reality check. Now, God, you really have chosen me. Now, this is really who you say that I am. Or other times, have you ever walked away and you feel like, okay, God, I know you did it for my, for, for the, you know, my growth and my maturity, but that hurt. 
has God ever kind of temporarily kind of injured you through the word and for your growth? That pruning that it talks about, that he cuts off this bad thought or this that's not producing fruit. Why? Because he wants you to be more fruitful. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning because I believe that that's really kind of what was going on a little bit here with David. Look at Psalms 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, in one way, guys, I really believe that. I mean, I really, really, really believe that. Yet in spiritual warfare that we battle every single day, the truth is that fear sometimes creeps into our minds and our hearts. Again, our two processing centers. One is our feelings and and one is our thoughts. Cognitive and emotional kind of thoughts. How how many of you believe that first verse of what David was saying? I mean, you really do believe that. There's a, a faith in, or you want to believe that. Because listen to what he's saying again. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Almost as if we truly, fully embraced all that Christ is and all that God has promised, that fear would not come into our lives. Is that possible? I see some really like tentative no's and some tentative yeses. Nobody's really taking that bull by the horns. Is that possible? To live a faith that we say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And that fear would kind of just not evaporate out of our life, but that we would have this ready answer to anything that would bring this timidity or fear to our lives. Let me answer that one biblically for you today. I believe that it is totally possible in the power of the Holy Spirit through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do I experience that 24-7? The answer quickly would be no. And maybe that's what that stress, that tension that we always talk about between spiritual realities and what's really happening in our life and yet the promises of God. Guys, what do you want from God? Do you want him to water down his promises so that they more fit your life? Or do you want him to mature you and grow you so that you can actually live out more of what his promise and and the, uh, the truth of his word is? Which way do you want it? Because in so many ways, it's like, okay, God, I know you've said that, and I, and I really do want the second part of it. Lord, is my stronghold of my life, of whom I shall be afraid. You know, in other words, David is saying, my goodness, with God and who God is, I don't have to have fear and fright. I don't have to be afraid. And yet we feel that tension because we don't always live that, and we do allow fears to come into our lives. We do feel afraid at times. And so what is it that you want? Would you rather God just kind of soften that a little bit? Make you not feel so bad when fears and fright comes into your life? Or would you rather him grow and mature you so that you would have a faith that truly could say, the Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The distance between what I believe... And the reality of my life 
ebbs and flows. And sometimes it's really close. I mean, there's some moments you're going, all right, God, I think I kind of figured this out. And you feel the power of the Holy Spirit. You feel the power of his word in your life. And then there's other times, have you felt like it's your first day of first grade spiritually? Isn't that challenging? And so what's the reality here? I want you to do something really practical this morning. And I trust me, as a pastor, I know this. Not everybody's going to do this this morning. But I challenge you to do it. Either write down, if you have your notes there or place, I want you to write down a present fear in your life. A, a present, if you don't like the word fear, a stress in your life right now. Okay. And I realize that many of you will do that. And if you don't have a pen, that you'll do that in your mind. I want you to pick something. And I'm going to be silent for about 10, 15 seconds. And it's going to seem like an eternity. Because in, in preaching, when the pastor doesn't talk, it, it seems like a long time. But I want you to take 10, 15 seconds, and I want you to either mentally or physically write down something that you're stressed, fearful, concerned, if you want to use that word. Sounds a lot more mature. It's just the same. Uh, this morning, okay? And I'm going to be silent for just a little bit. Now, if I count it right, that was only 10 seconds, but it seemed like a lot longer, didn't it? I can only imagine what some of you wrote. I do have something very much in my mind of of what I would write down this morning. It it may be something financial. It may be something relational. It may be something with your family. It may be a medical concern. But I, I guarantee you that every one of those has a spiritual component that your finances have a spiritual component, that your relationships and your family has a spiritual component, that your medical condition, even though it's a very physical thing, has a spiritual component to it. And so no matter what you wrote down this morning, I want you to hear the, the Word of God in relationship to that because I believe that God can bring a reality check to our spiritual walk this morning. As we've said many, many times, Fear and stress are the results of the fall of man. We begin to see that in Genesis chapter 3. That when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden for the first time they experienced this thing called fear. And they're fearful of God of all people. And they hide from God, or at least try to hide from God. We mention that Genesis 3 all the time because that is the orientation. That is the beginning of where so many of the things that we have to deal with in our sin nature, it all starts right there in Genesis chapter 3. And from that moment on, in Adam and Eve, and with everyone who has followed Adam and Eve, we contend with these things. And so now fear is a constant part of our lives. Do you know that you're only born with two fears? One of them is the fear of falling. Starts when you're young. It continues as you get older. <laughs> the fear of falling is one of the few natural ones that we have. All the other fears, all these other fears that we have in our lives are, are fears that we kind of make up. The other natural fear that we have is of loud noises. Okay, We have a, 
a fear of loud noises and sudden loud noises. And so we'll have a reaction to them. But every other fear is either something that's kind of in our heart and is kind of an emotionally based thing or in our head it's a cognitively based thing. But we have all these other fears that we've compiled. And so, for example, if all of a sudden there was a uh, a spider that just started coming down over here, there's not. But if there was, some of you would say, go get the spider. Others would head for the car. I, I wish I would have picked this this one uh, picture out there. Uh, I, I should have done that, where the house is completely burned to the ground, and the caption underneath is, there, got the spider. You know, and some of you are like that way with spiders. And someone else would say, you know, you're afraid of a little spider? But then all of a sudden you have your fear. Well, those kind of fears come and go and we kind of acquire those things. But what about the things that really do have that spiritual nature? I don't know that having a fear of a spider is a spiritual condition, just to relieve anybody out there this morning. But I I do believe that as David begins to write this psalm, that we understand where he's come from and what he's dealing with and what he is saying. Is he saying it because it really sounds good and we have this good churchy talk, or does he really believe it? This is a psalm of David, uh, David and Goliath. If you remember David and Goliath, this is probably well after his David and Goliath fame. He went on and he began to lead as a general in the army. He had a lot of victories, so much so that they began to sing songs about David. And they would talk about David and the king, King Saul, and said, okay, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands. Now, when you're the king, you don't like songs like that, but that's what people are doing. So so David is really successful, and he represents God very, very well. But later on, we find out that Saul doesn't like that. So Saul comes after David and wants to take his very life, his physical life. He wants to kill David. You travel a little bit farther in David's life, and you'll find out that one of his sons rebels against him. And the first part of that rebellion, Absalom, he he kind of has victory over that, and, and Absalom has to leave. But then Absalom goes and kind of gets with the people and raises a popularity, and then... David has to be on the run. So here's this man who took on a giant twice his size that finds himself in life at times having to run for his life. And many uh, scholars believe that he's writing in this context. Psalms 27, 2 and 3. We just heard in verse 1, Whom shall I fear? Is it that he had nothing to fear? Well, Verse 2 and 3 wouldn't say that. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. I mean, I, I don't know that you faced that yesterday. Did, did evildoers come to assail you to eat up your flesh? Figuratively, spiritually, emotionally, you know, in any way. This guy is not absent of problems. Somebody's really after him. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Is that the kind of confidence that you would love to have? That even if somebody assails against you to eat up your flesh? Even if they are waging war against you, that you would have a confidence. Because that's what David says. Now, is David saying that simply because that makes good fodder to put into the Bible? 
Why did God direct him? Why did the Holy Spirit direct him to say that? David acknowledges that he has problems, that he has challenges, and they're real. The sermon is called Spiritual Reality Check, but part of the reality is that he really did have people coming after him. One King Saul at one point of his life, another his own son. Can you imagine? I mean, we've all had to, to face with, you know, we were rebellious as teenagers. Our, our kids are probably going to have some measure of rebellion in their hearts and lives as they mature and grow. And, and so we have to deal with that. But can you imagine your child coming after you physically to take your life? David had to face that. I mean, it's one thing against King Saul. You can just go mano to mano to that. You know, you just kind of go, okay, bring your best stuff. But when it's your child, all of a sudden it's not just a thinking thing. All of a sudden it's an emotional thing. This is your son. And he's coming against you. We don't know directly which one David is relating this psalm to. But we do know that David faced those things in his life. And so when he says this, he's not just kind of picking out, hey, I have these imaginary people that are against me. This was reality. But look what he said about his assurance. It is they who stumble and fall. My heart shall not fear. I will be confident. Here's the biggest question for you this morning. Which of these does David need a reality check on? His enemies or his assurance? In verse 2 and 3, he talks about his enemies. Hey, they're coming after me. They want to eat my eat up my flesh. They war against me. Which one does David really need a reality check on? His enemies or his assurance? Because you think he's kind of thought too much when he's saying, I have this confidence or... I mean, which one is based more, let me ask it this way, which one is based more on misconception and which one is based more in reality? Could there be a possibility that both of those are just as real? Does having faith mean that all of a sudden the reality of a financial situation, that it goes away? I mean, have you ever struggled in the faith and you prayed on Sunday morning and God gave you confidence to, to kind of go on and then all of a sudden the gas company called up and said, hey, last month's bill, we're just checking that one off. Don't send that. Has your mortgage company ever called you and said, have you been praying because we just feel compelled to erase this month's payment? Both are realities, guys. Let's not get into a world where we don't think that there aren't things that we could be fearful of, that we could lack spiritual confidence in. These are real things. These adversaries are real. They're not made up little goblins underneath the bed like a three-year-old might say, I don't want to get out of bed. Why? There's a monster under my bed. No, there's not a monster under your bed. This is reality. And so let's not lighting that, but what often we need to do in our lives is to check the reality of the promises of God. We just sing those songs about the promises of God. Let me give you a, a direct episode from another person's life, Elisha. And, and I think this helps tell the story. Um, in Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 6, he has been, he's God's prophet. He's telling the truth about godly things. 
Israel doesn't have a real godly king at the time, and yet Elisha is still very faithful to go and be the prophet of God. And he actually, at this time, Syria is fighting Israel, okay? And so even though Israel doesn't have the most godly of kings at the moment, Elisha still goes to the king and says, okay, this is where the encampment of the Syrians are going to be. And he always kind of is one step ahead. The Syrian king gets frustrated. He gets angry. Because every time that they're about to make a move on Israel, Israel's already figured this out. And so they said, how is this happening? And somebody goes to tell the Syrian king, okay, king, this isn't that they're just kind of lucky. This isn't that, you know, that the king himself, there's this prophet, this Elisha guy, and he's a prophet of God. And God is giving him intel about where we're going to be even before we get there. What do you think the king of Syria wants to do? He wants to get rid of Elisha. Let's just eliminate this source of intel that keeps them one step ahead of us. And so he does an encampment around where Elisha is and covers it with horses and and chariots and all these fighting men. Look what it says, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. So he, that is the king, uh, the Syrian king, sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, now this is Elijah's servant. A lot of times the prophet would have like this young person that would just be there to help them and to be a servant to them and help them in different situations. So the servant comes out in the morning, maybe to go get water. I don't know. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, he, he goes to Elijah, Elisha, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Let me stop right there. Reality check. Are the horses and the chariots and the army real? The Syrian army coming against them? They're real. They're not fictitious. They're real. What he sees is that they're surrounded. Is there a part of his question, what shall we do, that truly does deal with reality? Yes. Now look in the next two verses. Elisha says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. He says, I know you counted, maybe you went out and you see thousands and thousands of chariots and horses and fighting men around you, and you feel like we're totally in cups. I want you to know that we have more on our side than they have on their side. And the servant looks around and he goes, well, they sure are hiding well. Because he does not have the eyes to see them. Next verse. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his, uh, the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Really, really big question, guys, here. Was that reality? 
Yes. Well, Bobby, one's like the king, the Syrian king, he has like a real army. And this other one is like a spiritual army. Guys, are we spiritual or not? Are we people of faith or not? There are going to be times in your life, there's going to be times in my life that only eyes of faith can see what God has promised. Was the army of God real? It was. I mean, what a great prayer. I mean, have you ever wanted to pray that for somebody? I mean, not in anger, not in frustration, but God opened their eyes so that they can see. Have you ever had a family member who's greatly burdened by something that's just troubling their heart and they are wrapped and they are chained in fear and they have this, I mean, heavy weight of burden on their life and your prayer is, God, open their eyes so that they can see spiritually the promises that you've made. You are for them. You're not against them. Well, Bobby, this is, it's good, but that's reality and, and this is spiritual. Either we are people of spiritual reality or we're not. And if we're not, then really what that would make us, guys, if we're just going to be really honest, is a group of people that believe in a similar morality and we just want to go out and live moral lives. And that would have some benefit, that we have some code of morality that we want to live by. But that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is that God has delivered us from fear and from stress. And that those are real things out there. This was a real army. And yet he has provided for us through the work of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, an ability to stand in the promises of God. Are we going to ebb and flow back and forth? Yes. Part of the frustration that Paul felt. Paul was so used to accomplishing things in his life. And he was, uh, he was the one that always got the A+. Plus. You know, you got your test back and you felt really good because you got a 99 and somehow he got 102. How do you get 102? But Paul did. And when it came to Christianity, this was his frustration. I believe this is part of the frustration of Romans 6 and and 7. When he says, "I, I can't just accomplish this on my own. And he identifies that he has to struggle with the sin nature. At the same time, he follows that up with what we call Romans 8. It was all one letter to Paul. It's all one writing to him. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life. Both are realities. Both are realities. I do want to challenge you, though. When I ask you, are the horses and the chariots really there? That is the the godly ones. If you figure out the answer to that question, you'll be able to understand what David is saying in Psalm 27. Notice again the prayer that Elisha has for his servant. Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. Isn't that a good prayer for a spiritual reality check? See, the battle is not with flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is there. The Syrian king is real. The horses are real. The chariots are real. The army is real. But that's not really where the battle is. Paul explained it this way in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Do you believe that? Did he say that there's no such thing as flesh and blood? What he said is we don't wrestle against The real battle is spiritual in nature. Whether it's financial, whether it's family situations, whether it's medical conditions. Folks, how foolish of me if somebody came up and said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And I said, oh, you know, no problem whatsoever. We're just going to pray that away. Certainly we're going to pray. And certainly there's going to be a measure of that that is uh, the foundation, I believe, is spiritual. But how foolish for me to say that there's not this medical condition. For me to ignore the flesh and blood part. But that's not where the battle is. The battle is this confidence that we go into. Have you ever seen somebody who really did have cancer and they were a believer and this whole thing, cancer, they had cancer but cancer didn't have them? Have you ever seen that? That's what this is talking about. This reality that God gives us his promises. He gives us this assurance and faith. I believe one of the hardest things is that when we pray and pray and pray for a believer or for somebody and they do have a medical condition and then we wonder why God didn't heal them, eventually they pass from that medical condition. We're going, okay, did we just have not, a, have not enough faith? Was it just that God's not good enough to do that? Did God not hear our... You know, we have all these this confusion. And, and I don't have all the answers, guys, of, of why God does what he does and why he heals some and he doesn't heal others. That wisdom is the wisdom of God and I would not even pretend to have that wisdom. I would just know this, that when we stand in our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, that something like a cancer can have us, but it, or we can have cancer, but cancer very much can't have us, our mind and our heart. Well, Bobby, if you ever had cancer, you would probably talk to everyone. I, I would hope that I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm talking out of ignorance as far as the, the, the cancer part. But I am talking about the spiritual reality, guys. Either we are people of faith or we're not. Either God is a promise keeper or he's not. Either the Holy Spirit is either with us as believers or he's not. We can't play a middle ground. And yet that middle ground is where so often we live. See, that's the reality that Paul is trying to conclude in Romans 8. After discussing the reality of the depravity of our sins and and discussing the the hopelessness that we have without Christ, he talks about the reality of who we are in Christ. And in Romans 8.31, he says this, What then shall we say to these things? He's talking about all the promises of God and, and this life in God's spirit. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that, and yet you feel like you're not quite living up to, to, to where that is, what a great prayer that Elisha had for his servant. Oh, God, open his eyes so that he can see. I mean, anytime you want to pray that for me, for your pastor, I'd appreciate it. God, open his eyes so that he can see. See what? 
the reality of all the promises of God. When we talk about reality checks, there are the flesh and the blood, there are the things that are fallen in this world that you and I will contend with. But I promise you this, guys. The finished work of Christ and and what he did when he rose from the grave and what God did when he enabled the Holy Spirit, now God's presence to be with us on a daily basis, we are already the victors. We're not awaiting victory. We're already victors in Christ Jesus. We will know the fullness of that victory when we step into heaven and we'll know it without any restraint whatsoever. Right now we are in this kind of tension, in this tug of war. But please do not believe for a second that you are not already that in Christ Jesus, if you truly are in Christ Jesus. And so ask God to open your eyes so that you can see the spiritual eyes. Well, Pastor, isn't that kind of just living in kind of a la-la land? Either you believe this or you don't, guys. Either we're going to be people with the promises of God and and what God has said and what he's accomplished, or we're not. We can't just kind of take the things that kind of work for us and kind of say, well, this part doesn't work for me because I'm not feeling that right now. Then ask God to open your heart and your mind so that you might see the power of the word of God. Does that make sense at all? I mean, I feel like I'm kind of not getting traction this morning, not because of you, but because of me. <laughs> Maybe I'm still on beach time. I don't know, you know. But I, this is so important. This is so important. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Would you pray that this morning? Would you pray for God to open your eyes so that 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 would be a reality to you? And more than likely, I I, I can never tell what God's going to do, what he's not going to do. But he may not immediately take away chariots and armies and kings that come against you. He'll just let you know that you have this power of his army with you. In the story of Elisha, if you want to know kind of where that went, God does bring a blindness to the people and they just, you know, there's victory there. They don't come and get Elisha. Elisha is able to escape and go on. And so the power of God was pretty immediate. And sometimes that may happen in our lives. Sometimes it may not. Sometimes he takes away a cancer. Sometimes he restores a marriage. Sometimes he brings financial difficulties to a to a solvable place, but it's not always immediate. But here's what can be immediate today, today, today. His promise that he's going to be faithful and that he'll never leave you. His promise of that his son rose from the dead so that we're not bound by fear and stress. And so what do we do? Look at the last part. Verse 4. David says, one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord 
and to inquire in his temple. You know what he's saying? Back in those days, the temple was the presence of God. It, it, it symbolized the presence of God. And what he's saying is, I just want to be with God all the time. I want the presence of God. I seek after the presence of God in my life all the time. New Testament believer, here's the really good news. That if you put your faith and your trust in the work of Christ, guess what? He has promised you that he now lives in you and that he will never leave you or forsake you. He is praying. I just want to, I mean, have you ever felt like sometimes things click at church? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's a dangerous question for a pastor to ask. <laughs> but, you know, that you get some right thinking to something that maybe was some wrong thinking because of the word of God, not so because of, of a man or a pastor, but you get into the word of God and all of a sudden there's some right thinking to kind of contradict this wrong thinking, this spiritual reality check. And you wish, I wish I could just keep my mind right here all the time. That's what David's praying there in verse 4. He just wants the presence of God. God, I just want to think right. I want to think the promises that you've made. I want to think upon what you have said and declared in your word. And that's my prayer for us this morning. I think it's one of the most beautiful psalms there is. And yet it's either going to be reality or it's going to be one of those things, okay, that's for the really spiritual people. I don't know the last time that you really considered yourself, but when I think of spiritual people, I do not think of myself. I don't know how you think, but I don't think of myself. I think of people that are like really, really spiritual. They must never, ever get freaked out by things. They must never have fear. They must never have stress in their lives. I'm down here with everybody else and can kind of be shimmied back and forth. Well, no matter where you are this morning, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus and his victory... These are the promises of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, this morning, I pray that we would pray that prayer of Elisha. That, Father, that that you would open our eyes to see spiritual things. Father, I, I can only imagine what that servant boy must have felt when he opened his eyes and he began to see chariots of fire that you had assembled and an army of angels that you had assembled. Father, I can only imagine the confidence that he began to have and how fear of the Syrian army that he had had his eyes filled with before all of a sudden turned and he just saw you. Father, we sing songs about turning our eyes into Jesus, looking full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty and grace. You haven't made it hard, Father. So, Father, help us to turn our eyes into you so that we would be able to sing songs of old like it is well with my soul, even in the darkest and the deepest of storms. Because our confidence is not on, Father, the absence of the storm, but the presence of holy God with us. We love you and we thank you. We pray that we'd go out and we would be able to live this week in a spiritual reality, Father. Things that maybe not other eyes could see, but that we know are the promises you have made to us. We love you and we thank you. And Father, I 
I pray that we sing this song this morning in confidence of you. We love you. We pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.